Hello, I'm Mike White, and I'm the CEO of Lively Worldwide. Welcome to the Fresh Takes video podcast, where we take a fresh look at the ever-changing landscape of marketing. In these discussions, we intend to find out how creativity and technology are innovating the world of brands and businesses to deliver genuine audience connections. Everyone's talking about developments in technology and the constantly changing landscape for marketeers, but are we spending enough time studying the needs of the general public? After all, that's who we are trying to connect with. We're living in a world where we are bombarded by 8,000 ads a day. We are told that NFTs are the future, but the SEC is investigating Yuga Labs, which could light a touch paper across numerous existing platforms. Again, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, but people are now starting to try and call them digital collectibles. And SEC is the Securities and Exchange Commission. So how do we navigate these constantly evolving advances in technology while wanting to stay creative and be at the center of culture? Well, this is why we are here. Lively is a creative innovation agency taking agnostic view across all this noise and finding the true pioneers of creativity innovating in the world of marketing and entertainment. So we can actually discuss what we have learned and how best to navigate the future. So without further ado, welcome to my first guest, Victor Murphy, Brand and Planning Manager at Pernod Ricard, and previously in international marketing at beauty industry leader L'Oreal. Victor is currently working on Pernod Ricard's marketing transformation for global brand and local country teams. And I'm excited to hear about Victor's insight and experience of creative effectiveness and brand planning across these leading retail companies. So, hello, Victor. How are you? Hello, Mike. I'm very well. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, two of my favorite subjects, creativity and technology. There you go. We're going to get on fine then. Um, well, look, let's let's crack straight into it because you've obviously been doing a lot. Uh, you've just come off um, doing a successful insight series with Warp, which was uh, really interesting to kind of listen to and watch. And one of the things I kind of picked up on was you say that creativity is your number one factor at Pernod Ricard determining ROI. And we kind of know that ROI is really a holy grail for obviously marketing, but more experience, kind of brand experience and stuff. So could you just elaborate on that a bit more and and, and tell us how, how you do that? Yeah, sure. So indeed, we do like to remind our teams that creativity is the number one actionable driver of our marketing activities and their ROI, especially far ahead of the ones afterwards. And those are brand codes such as logo, fonts, pack shape, and excess share of voice. So it's really creativity uh, that pushes our ROI forward. And when it comes to measuring that ROI, well, it all depends on the type of brand activity and the touch points used. Uh, but we generally look at several key measures for creative effectiveness all throughout the consumer journey, reach, engagement, sentiment, brand recall, product trial, conversions and sales, as well as advocacy, just to name a few. So the advantage of tech-first brand activities is that it's more possible than ever to track these metrics, which in addition to having a more precise understanding of our return on investment, also allows us to pivot campaigns if needed in order to optimize them, just as our Spanish liquor brand Rua Vieja did when one of their campaigns started to go viral. That's really interesting. So very much a uh a kind of a test and learn approach and really kind of integrating how you're measuring data and things like that to, to empower the creative process, basically. Absolutely. 
that's that's great that's some that's we've we've been hearing a lot of that recently um and so have you you know data and the role within creativity has always been kind of a, a big subject matter you know have you got any kind of how do you manage that that's that's a hell of a task isn't it there's all these different data streams coming in like have you got any kind of pointers on on how best to kind of balance that well data you know it's really today's currency when it comes to marketing effectiveness especially first party data which is growing in importance as we move away from third party data and I think I can also complement what I said just before by saying that this data allows us to have stronger consumer insights, not just in um, after our marketing activity and analyzing the KPIs and seeing how we can optimize them, but even from the very start of the process, I would say, when it comes to creativity, that often starts with our agency partners. Um, so, for example we can use data to pull out the right consumer insights. We can use data to also respond to their creative proposals and ideas to really concretely let them know why we think this would work or wouldn't work with our target consumer. And so data really allows you to become much more fact-based um, and less objective as we may have done in marketing in the past. Speaking uh, from... Uh... You know the agency point of view it's you know it, it, you kind of you have to start with yeah we've always said to our clients yeah you're the expert in your customers your products you know we we want to add the kind of the understanding and how best to navigate you know the right platforms the right tech so it's like tell us who these people are and and let us then collaborate with you on the on the right areas and the uh, the right kind of locations to really engage with these people. You mentioned um, a, a case study, you know, just earlier about how data actually, by the sounds of it, helped you pivot mid kind of campaign. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah, sure. So I was talking about a campaign which was released a few years ago by one of our brand, brands in Spain called Rua Vieja, and it was called... Uh, Tenemos que vernos más, or we have to see more of each other. And that actually won multiple Cannes Lions, including most recently last year, a Creative Effectiveness Gold Lion. And so basically what the brand did is they created a website enabled by advanced analytics uh, to allow people to calculate how much time they concretely had left to spend with each other's loved ones, people who were dear to them. And so driven by a content piece where, where real-life people discovered how much time they had left with each other, the website ended up being visited by almost 1 million people from almost 200 countries. And according to Google, it quickly became at the time the most watched and shared ad in Spanish history. So to answer your question, this prompted the brand to abandon its media plan and channel the cash into funding more reunions between people, actually. So they used... Uh, the money to purchase bus tickets for people who uh, filled out the questionnaire and expressed a desire to see more of each other just in time for Christmas. And so overall, the campaign garnered over 17 million views, over 300,000 shares, and especially drove a 52% sales increase. Wow. So, so are you saying that you actually use that data to shift away from traditional advertising into more kind of engaged marketing and and reward 
Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's all, right. Yeah, it's, it's also leveraging, I would say, a more human side of data. I don't think that we can kind of isolate data on its own without creativity and human insights and storytelling. And that's what branding is, is about. I think it's really important that the two are always linked and working together. Uh, and I'd say the brilliance of this campaign, even though it was really based on strong uh, data insights, is that it's also based about an insight on the overuse of social media. So constant social media interactions can make us feel like we are connected to our loved ones, no matter how long it's been since we've seen them or how far apart we are. And the Rua Vieja campaign encouraged people to make more of an effort to spend meaningful time with uh, the ones who were dear to them and less time interacting on social media by jolting them into realizing how much time they really had to spend with each other. So the timing is also really good right before Christmas. So I would say that that offers us a lot of learnings and maybe a clue to where it's going with uh, tech driving creativity. People are growing wary of technology as it encroaches into their lives. Uh, think of the multiple backlashes against the tech giants. People growing wary of overexposure and even addiction to social media, influencer culture, growing concerns over privacy. So how can brands leverage technology to fuel creativity, but for good? And I think that the Rua Vieja example is a really effective demonstration. Totally. Victor, I could literally drop the mic now. This is uh, this is just, um, we, we could finish here. I think you've just kind of nailed the whole point. It's, um, there's, there's so many things I want to spring off there. One is I you're, you're preaching to the converted, which is why we do these shows. The, the fact that you, you know, we, there's this shift, isn't there, from, you know, that, that traditional reach of pure advertising um, and and just going for kind of quantifiable reach numbers to actually you're proving that you're really connecting with the right audience at the right time. You're delivering marketing for good out of that and, and really showing value in where you're putting your advertising spend. That is just, that, that, that is for me absolutely the holy grail. And it's so exciting to see brands and businesses like yourself just truly championing that because this is the big thing isn't it is data is all about those data points are human beings mm. and 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 that's been ignored for so long um and now to your point you know this this i suppose this is what was so exciting about like yeah you know, i'm a marketeer but i chose physical events originally as my speciality because I believed in that dwell time. I believed in that connection. I could see mm. the audience and and feel their emotions and see them, you know, we'll talk about this later, but especially within the drinks industry, brand in hand, you know, you can't beat that. But for years, the, ex, the events or brand experience or experiential world couldn't measure themselves. And, and it was always madness for me because the minute you integrated content and technology and things like that to exactly what you said you could then really prove where where your spend was going and true roi mm. and and for me i suppose the interesting question is that you're showing that there's and correct me if i'm wrong but that there's more value in that connection and engagement than there is in just 
kind of pure reach. Of course, you need the reach, but you need, you know, it needs to be integrated and really form into that because you've just shown like a full ROI down to even down to product sales, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, you also said a very interesting one, which came up at a talk, um, uh, sorry, at an event I was at last week about technology lead, uh, sorry, I might misquote you here, but leading creativity, you know, the, there's this balance, isn't there is what comes first, the, the tech or the creativity. Yeah. And, and where's, where, what's your position on that? Cause I've got one as well. Yeah, I would, I don't know if I'd say tech leads creativity, but I think the two are really mutually beneficial to each other. I would say that technology enables creativity, um, and there are so many outlets through which you can do that today, whether it's, uh, through data, as we were discussing, it can be through virtual worlds meshing with real worlds as as you also so rightly said brand in hand is so important especially for the drinks industry it can be through web 3.0 nfts the metaverse but in the end you know it and i i don't want to repeat myself but it's a really important message that it, it, it needs to remain human and the storytelling needs to remain there and it especially needs to bring value to the people who you're you want to target and uh, so I really would, uh, it, it's easy for brands today to fall into the trap of hopping onto uh, the latest technology bandwagon just to see, and you said it yourself, that there is a lot of pressure on brands to be in the metaverse or have an NFT strategy, but is it relevant for your target consumer? Is it relevant for your brand? And are you doing it in a way which is really communicating your brand purpose, your values, or bringing some kind of value to your consumer? So these are all questions to ask. But in the end, yes, technology is so important for creativity today. And and, and I think it's, it, it, I think personally, it is a balance. I, I, I don't want to, the, the creative process is incredibly valuable for all of us, isn't it? But I, I think the, like you said, is yeah. I've literally just beat text by a a, a friend of mine who's uh, in the music industry, and he was kind of like, "Why is everybody talking about the metaverse?" You know, mm -hmm. it, it's um, yeah, because he's a he's a gig guy. You know, he believes in concerts and new music, yeah. and and I was quickly to explain to him, and, and I think this is a problem with our own marketing, isn't it? Is everybody loves to talk about the next big thing and the buzzword, but it, to your point. It's you focus on the human first. You think about where they are, what worlds are they in? Um, you know, Logitech uh, was a previous interview that we did, and they they said something really interesting. Is you know they they had to reach Gen Z, and Gen Z are I'm going to say living in the metaverse, but this word metaverse is 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 not solved yet. They're living in gaming worlds right now, which is why. They, they did a, uh, an awards ceremony in Roblox. But you go where your audiences are, don't you? So it, it's, that's the important thing is think about these people as human beings, thinking about where they are, what media channels and platforms are they, you know, including the live environment and, and go out and kind of engage with them. I, also, in, I suppose the, the important part of the creative process alongside technology and data is the authenticity isn't it is you, you can't just do it for the sake of doing it 
um that, that's kind of the important the, the important factor here i want to kind of um you know just we've you know we talked previously and one of the things that really jumped out of me was um uh you know the, the you know, you've done an incredible project with jameson's and, and nfts can we can we just talk through that process for a moment because to your point that's that's quite an interesting um uh balance isn't it it's like you know nfts is a very very specific piece of technology it's under massive scrutiny right now because of all of the hype why would a brand like jameson's choose to 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 run a promotion like that yeah so a lot of tech acronyms flying around these days but uh the jameson initiative was actually nfc so not actually NFT, but that was uh, still a very creative activation by our Irish whiskey brand, Jameson. And basically, it was a connected bottle. So uh, they launched a couple of years ago. Oh, sorry, just let's step back there. For Like I made sure I defined it. What, what does that acronym actually mean? Uh, for all ads means near field communication. So things like are activated when you get physically close to the device. Ah, uh. Right, yeah. totally understand the differentiation. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So they had these bottles in Ireland where consumers could tap the cap with their NFC-enabled smartphones. It's basically the same technology we used to be make mobile payments, for example. Yeah, no, and, we, and then they would, we worked with it a lot in the live event sector. Absolutely. And then they get ex- access to exclusive events, experiences, content, and more complimentary distillery tours, for example. We've talked a lot about tech for tech's sake, and like you said, there's a heck of a lot of hype out there, metaverses, NFTs, and, yeah. and, and things like that. Um, how have you navigated that world? Have you, so, you know, NFTs are getting very bad rap right now. But, um, yeah, have you got any examples of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you said it very well yourself in your introduction about, for example, the bad buzz lately about the active users on Decentraland. So, you know, I do think uh, if we take the macro view uh, on that, we can definitely admit that there have there has been some doubt about virtual worlds and about Web3 lately, whether it's uh, crypto or the metaverse or NFTs, just like the buzz on the active users that you mentioned. It's true also that crypto has fallen lately, although it's not the first time that it's done so. But if you talk to Web3 experts, they are taking a more long-term view. So blockchain may have the potential to take us to the future of the internet. Uncertainty is part of the process of having a market stabilize and grow. There was such hype around Web3 last year. So many NFTs getting created without being backed by any real value. So now that territory is getting shaken up and getting rid of the riffraff, if I may, which is part of the process of a market that is not yet mature, uh, like Web 3.0, but in its early stages. So the parts that the hype created, whether they're NFTs or metaverse worlds, they're being shaken out right now. And what's left will offer people real experiences, real value on the journey to get to Web 3. So I think it's still pretty exciting, even though I definitely understand uh, some of the doubts that we're having right now, and just as your musician friend mentioned, these are all very valid questions. Mm. Uh, and um, and so, have you ventured into any of those worlds with any of your brands? 
Yeah, we have. So I can maybe first uh, talk about NFTs. So mm -hmm. basically when it comes to NFTs, you have three types. You have asset backed, you have digital asset related, or ones which offer membership into a club or a community. So Bernard Ricard today is working more on asset backed NFTs. So for example, we recently launched our third NFT initiative with our prestige uh, Scotch whiskey brand, Royal Salute and Block Bar, which is an NFT marketplace for wines and spirits. So before when prestige spirits collectors wanted to buy or sell luxury spirits, they used to have to go through shipping and customs, store it safely somewhere once they received it. And on top of that, they weren't always sure of the project, the product's origin and authenticity. So our partner Block Bar solves these pain points, storing the bottle for you until you decide to burn the NFT which represents it and you want to get the physical product. So it's like trading on the stock market uh, for luxury spirits up until that point. And there's no risk of counterfeit as products are received straight from the manufacturer and then tracked by blockchain. So this is a great strategy. It's helping us tap into luxury investment, into a tech-oriented audience as well, who may not have been so aware of our brands before. And we're trying different tactics as we explore this field. Uh, we think it's very important to remain open to testing and learning as we go in this new space when it comes to NFTs, Web3, or the metaverse. And so if I can be a bit more concrete on what we actually did for Royal Salute. So the first uh, initiative was a limited edition uh, time series model, we called it, by Royal Salute. And that sold uh, in Ethereum crypto for the equivalent of $35,000. The second one was a Richard Quinn, who is a British designer, a limited edition, uh, the first of a batch of 200, which was also the only one to be signed by him. So that was also sold. Uh, both of those were sold basically within minutes. And then the third initiative, which we launched, I actually believe just last week, was a single cask initiative. So it is uh, one cask of rare Royal Salute Scotch whiskey broken up into 315 individual bottles uh, and it's exclusive to Block Bar. So we're trying different formats with NFTs, um, but it's important to remain open. And so far, the signs have been positive. Yeah, I, I, uh, as a... Uh... A collector myself, um, both in the art world and uh, actually I don't think I've got it in shop, but there's my little NFT digital screen there with my little heroes uh, collectible on it. Um, but I've also dabbled in whiskey and and I think what what's interesting is a lot of people say technology is a barrier, but for me, he, having experienced uh, like the premium whiskey market, not at that level by the way, I'm not buying 35 gram bottles, but it, it's it's a hard industry. It's a hard thing to get into. It's only because I've I've got a good friend that's an expert in that field that I've kind of learned. So, ironically, we're kind of saying that that the potential of the technology behind NFTs is making it more accessible because it is getting online. It, and and for me also, it cuts out the storage issues and the ship like shipping is one of the biggest challenges and and expensive as well. So. Yeah. That's a brilliant case study in its own right about, you know, technology making stuff more accessible rather mm -hmm. than than arid. Yeah. That, that's something I just want to dwell on because that's the the interesting thing, isn't it? Is technology a lot of people see it as a barrier, don't they? It it, it can it can get scare people. It can make them feel nervous. But um, 
but it's really interesting how things kind of have developed. I'd like to kind of just, if you don't mind, take a step back and kind of just bounce off each other with regards to how we feel technology has evolved uh, in the world of kind of marketing and entertainment. Uh, I'll probably go back because of my age a little bit further than yourself, but it, it's been an interesting journey for me because, you know, right back to Web1 days, you know, you had an organization like Boo.com, which um, I don't know if you ever uh, yeah, uh, saw it or read the book, but it's an interesting story. They were the first kind of main fashion online retailer during Web1 and um, got massive investment. Uh, unfortunately, it's a bit of a you know, disaster story, but it was interesting because they, they kind of led the way of showing people what what the future was going to be like um probably a perfect case of you know be careful if you're the first at something because yeah. it can be, make things quite tricky but then the interesting bit especially with what's just happened in the pandemic was yeah the, madonna actually did a stream with msn as a brand in a 2002 live stream from brixton academy and reached nine million people and so again for me that's quite an interesting touch point in the fact that we were live streaming as long ago as that, but it hasn't really built a momentum up until now. Mm. But that is probably the fact and the big point I'm trying to make is, you know, you've we had to get 5G rolled out. We had to get Wi-Fi rolled out. We had to get mobile phones into people's hands. And that's taken a long time. But but actually, the London 2012 Olympics was such an interesting tipping point because the internet was out. And and actually, that's what inspired us to set our business up because uh, uh, there was an article written about um, called Amplified Live and how the London Olympics really empowered social media outside of just TV to really engage with people. Um, yeah, and, it, it's, and here we are now with, you know... Uh, uh, an unbelievable amount of people you know 83 percent of the world have got smartphones wow <laughs> and do you so do you feel kind of when did when when were the moments for you that you as a you know a, a person that's motivated by data and technology when did you really start to see these opportunities and when did you personally kind of see all this start to happen and go that that's where we need to be yeah, well, I mean, I'll preface that by saying that as a millennial, I'm happy that I can count myself as basically the last generation to remember life before smartphones and social media, as old as that will make me sound one day. But that's also perhaps why I'm such an uh, uh, active supporter of um, linking always the, the human to the tech and, and the data. Uh, yeah. as fundamentals of, of marketing and brand building. But um, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you on what you've said about the different tipping points that we've seen when it comes to tech and definitely the the Boo.com uh, uh, and the Madonna concert I was not aware of, but I'll definitely be researching that after this conversation. Um, but, you know, we've obviously had... Uh, the advent of the internet that you mentioned, the rise of the social networks. Uh, we've had the iPhone in 2006, I believe. 
And I'd say we've also had one big tipping point that we haven't mentioned yet, but I think it's strongly impacted a lot of, and accelerated a lot of what we've discussed so far, which was the pandemic. Things that had to, had to be mentioned at some point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, uh, we don't like to talk about it, but it's uh, the elephants in the room at some points. And yeah, it definitely accelerated, uh, especially uh, Web3, e-commerce, so many, I mean, keep staying connected with live streaming, which you mentioned, uh, staying connected via social media. I, you know, it was just such a great accelerator of tech and digital. And that's certainly something that we've all lived in the last uh, two or three so years. But uh, and I'm uh, to be honest, I'm glad you brought that up. I um, you're absolutely. I, I don't even see. We don't even kind of treat as an elephant in the room. It was a. It was a. Yeah, obviously, there's an awful time, but it really, really showed the benefits of technology. That that for me was fantastic, and. But you've just made me think of a kind of a, a good question in the fact that the, so yes, the pandemic, we spent two years in our homes, reconnecting, reevaluating ourselves and understanding kind of how technology can make us connected. The, I had a personal prediction that when the clouds started to lift, that 60% of the industry would rush back to physical experiences and mm. traditional marketing. And my personal prediction though was there would be about 40% of us that would have seen the opportunities and continued on, which I feel Erna Ricard seemed to have done that. Do you, but personally, I, I'm, I'm quite shocked, like, which is why it's great having this conversation with you because it does seem that a larger proportion of people have just rushed back to normal. Um, do you think that is just a blip because we've all been at home for two years and actually now we'll start to see a rejuvenation through 2023? Um, yeah, how do you perceive that? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the industry, uh, but obviously if I focus on the drinks industry, which was very impacted, obviously, by that time, yeah. so just to... Our business is basically 75% what we call the off-trade. So it's everything that's sold in shops. And then it's 25% what's on-trade or on-premise. And that's everything that's sold in bars, restaurants, nightclubs, festivals, etc. And obviously that part of the business was basically evaporated during the pandemic. A lot of it actually was kind of rechanneled into the off-trade. So people did keep consuming, but rather at home. And that really created new consumer behaviors and, and patterns in people's lives. And I, I, I do think that we've seen the on-trade pick up again since things have opened back up. And that's really great. We're, we're very happy about that, if only for our customers whom we're very close with in the on-trade, but also for our consumers, of course. Um, but there have definitely been some shifts, I would say. People are entertaining more at home. The people have realized the value of the home request question things like city living and searching uh, in search of uh, more space and a space that's more convivial where you can invite people more easily and that also impacts uh, the way that people consume our brands and stay connected with each other so i would agree with you that i think it's definitely bounced back but there are some behaviors which i think uh are are here to stay 
and we can just look at uh, flex remote hybrid working as an example. People go less to the office than they used to, and that means they're spending more time at home, and they're also you know less opportunities to maybe get after work drinks with your coworkers. If I look again at just the drinks industry, but um, yeah, I would say it's a bounce back, and we hope it stays that way. But there are certainly new behaviors and evolutions which are welcome as well. Mm, excellent, and yeah, I, th- that's that's great. So um, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Uh, I think we might be getting you back for a second uh, episode. There's so much to talk about. Uh, I got a few more questions yeah. though. Um, again, the, the the main one is specifically around the drink sector because you know it it used to be all about brand in hand. You know that's a really you know specific thing. So. Going back to, I, I suppose, where we kind of kicked off about this ROI is, you know, how how does the te- how does technology, how does you know, delivering, um, you know, something innovating in in the technology world really end up delivering in brand in hand? Yeah, so I fully agree. Technology can be great entry point to a brand but in the end indeed as you say it's key to get the brand in hand especially in the drink sector so i think we can look at a couple examples uh one is or rather maybe focus on a couple examples from one brand which is pretty good at doing this i would say and that's heineken from the beer sector so they've actually taken the distinct positioning of being a bit anti-technology if we look at campaigns like their bottle opener that turns off the user's technology tech devices when a beer bottle is opened or they had a beer fridge which only opens when the user puts their phone with a low battery uh, on top of it so you can't use your phone and it's a positioning which makes sense if you consider that spending time on our devices uh, may actually be uh competing with our time, spending time with friends around a beer or a drink, especially during certain moments like after work. Um, But also on the flip side, you could also debate the launch of Heineken Silver, which was their first beer to be launched in the metaverse. And so Heineken clearly invested significantly to create a virtual world in Decentraland. And it received a bit of a lukewarm reception initially from the media at first users as a virtual beer that only lives in the virtual world is a bit of a stretch. It's still a beer. It's still meant to be tasted and consumed. And so later the launch was meant revealed to be a joke that was meant to poke fun at all of the brands jumping into the metaverse. And it was followed with uh, in real life events. But one can't help but wonder, was it really initially meant to be a joke? In any case, press articles are still online about the initial less than enthusiastic reception. So it shows that brands need to be careful in this new tech territory, especially when being bold and creative, as Heineken definitely often is. But yeah, yeah. tech uh, key to get branded. And uh, to, to be honest, there's there's an insight there, isn't there? Because um, we did a talk about a year ago, uh, no, longer than that, actually, during the pandemic. And we talk about this merging of physical and digital you know um people use the word hybrid but actually now it's omni-channel isn't it? It, it it can be anything and for us that it's two different audiences isn't it 
it, it's you know some people you know it's why we you know sometimes we live stream these episodes and our events because some people just want to come to a physical event and want to hear us talk and want to meet us afterwards and talk to it or we're gonna you know edit this and and put it on a platform and and send it out as content so they, those are two very different audiences coming together aren't they uh like my friend who just messaged me saying you know i just want to stay in the real world to lots of us that that just are passionate about you know spending time in Fortnite with their son and stuff like that like myself but i think the key takeaway from there is again you've got to understand your audiences because particularly in this new world that is evolving um you know such as the metaverse and nfts not to keep mentioning that dread thing how many times i might mention that in this session but people are those are they're very passionate the tech people you know the the digital nomads the you know they they take it personally and i think that's the thing isn't it you've got to remember that you we are talking to multiple audiences um and to be honest with you uh, you know that that's actually kind of a, a, a you know in the world of marketing we like to discuss demographics and things like that don't you feel, though, that, again, thanks to technology, demographics are becoming blurred? Yeah. You know, there there are, you, you, yes, fair enough, we might want to reach a Gen Z or a, you know, baby boomer or a, you know, Gen X, which I am proud to, to be. But but at the end of the day, we're all consumers. Um, you know, I drink Jameson's whiskey as, as much as a younger audience. So, yeah. Yeah, we. How do you how do you balance that from your your data insight perspective? Yeah, I think does the does the brief uh, and you know maybe sorry it's more about how do you brief your agencies because the last thing and I think I have actually had this from a client before we just want to reach everybody. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, we try to uh, avoid recommending that uh, our. We, we brief our agencies to to reach everybody because indeed when you do have data available it just brings you a better ROI to to target um, but first of all I I agree with you on the blending of uh, or rather the blurring of demographics um, you know Today, I think it's less about targeting a certain gender, a certain age bracket, a certain socioeconomic class, geographic location. And those factors are still important, but you can go so much farther in centers of interests and hobbies and passions and people. If you manage to find a tribe who's really passionate about a certain point that no other brand is really picking up and you own that. And then you can turn this group of people into advocates for your brand. That alone is going to be so much more powerful than, you know, kind of that uh, casting a wide net old school way of marketing that, that you just mentioned. And I think data is really such a, a great enabler for us to, to go find those kinds of people. And then to answer the second part of your question on our agency partners, uh, well, it's really, you know, as an international group with a wide portfolio of brands, it's really important. For us to have a common language when briefing our agencies so we have an agency briefing template which really highlights the business problem one of our brands may be trying to solve gives the agencies the tools and the context they'll need to find the solution and then leave them the necessary creative room to leverage their expertise and propose the, the best creative solutions 
that's uh, in a nutshell how we um, go about uh, onboarding our, our agency partners in the beginning stages. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, look, I think we've uh, we've covered a heck of a lot. Um, I've certainly enjoyed it. Um, I've I've learned a lot. Um, I would like to ask you one final question, and that's in the spirit of fresh takes. What's your advice to brands trying to navigate their way through all of this? Um, you know, if there's a takeaway from what we've talked about, uh, what would it be? Yeah. I'd, I'd say two points to that. Uh, the first one is that tech can be instrumental in pushing the boundaries of creativity, but uh, combine privacy concerns with important changes in the data landscape, like Google phasing out eventually third-party cookies. Uh, that This means that brands are advancing in an exciting data and technology territory, but keeping the consumer top of mind and being forward-gazing to adapt to looming changes on the horizon will be key to successfully navigating it. Even though we can't tell the future, we have to try to look towards it regardless to be successful. And then the second one, and I think we've mentioned it before, but it's good to close on this, I think, and that's to resist the temptation to jump on a technology bandwagon just for the sake of it. Make sure that it's right for your brand, that the ROI is worth it, and that it's delivering real value to people, which is really key to getting them to experiencing your brand in a virtual world and then wanting to experience it in the real one. Fantastic. Victor, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so that's a wrap to our first ep episode on our second series of Fresh Takes. Next week, I'll be talking to uh, Jason Carmel, where we will deep dive into the importance of and actually continue the conversation we've already started about recognizing real data uh, as human beings, because I think this is a very important subject matter to start taking into 2023. Everybody's talking about the hype. Everybody's talking about all of these new technologies. And it makes every, it, it, it kind of latches on, doesn't it? This FOMO, it's like, oh my God, I've got to be doing it. But yeah. you don't, there is a time and place and you've just got to always, you know, keep it really simple. We're just human beings. Look at where your audiences are and keep it real. Brilliant. Victor, thank you so much. Uh, I'll see you in the green room uh, after this and I hope everybody's enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye.